Hello and welcome to Telling Stories. This week we're looking at two men whose careers were intertwined, and intertwined in my wrestling fandom more than most. Mark Rocco and Marty Jones. The men who William Regal quite rightly said changed the way we thought about professional wrestling worldwide in the mid-1970s and all the way through to the 1990s. These two men were the cornerstone of my wrestling fandom, who were the cornerstone of my father's wrestling fandom in the TV era. This is how I enjoyed professional wrestling, and these were the men who made it the most exciting thing on TV on Saturday afternoons. Marty Jones is a trainer. Mark Rocco stepped away from the wrestling spotlight, but both have left a long, long shadow on the wrestling you see today. And now, ladies and gentlemen, this is a catchweight contest a match made over a time of 40 minutes, eight rounds, five minutes each round, two falls, two submissions, or a knockout to decide. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a great pleasure to present to you in the blue corner, the British light heavyweight champion, Marty Jones. And opposing him in the red corner, the British heavy middleweight champion, Rollerball Rocco. The son of gentleman Jim Hussey, Mark Rocco, was not encouraging to the wrestling business. Training with another Lancastrian wrestler, Colin Joynston, and other local pros in his father's own gym when he was away touring, Mark would eventually emerge as a young talent working his way through the business, looking to prove himself to be as good as his father. Once Jim found out, he asked him not to use the name Hussey because he wanted Mark to prove how good he was before he took the name. It worked out well for Mark, setting himself a unique identity outside of his father's shadow, and he would be forever Mark Rocco. Working through the joint system, he was quickly manoeuvred up the ranks. He was a new kind of heel, a buzzsaw of intent. His matches were always exciting. He drew heat like a black t-shirt on a hot day, and he could wrestle just as well as anyone else in the country. He had taken the approach that one should learn everything to give yourself the chance of best improvement, so he had dutifully gone to the snake pit to learn more when the opportunity came up. He watched and learned from everyone he could and put together a character that was revolutionary. He was a whirling dervish of action as he entered the ring, and his matches would tend to be more violent than most. Willing to put his body on the line to get over... Different to the wrestlers around him, who considered that work on Monday was probably going to make precedence over the performance in the evening, which was quite understandable. When you think about it, nearly everybody I've mentioned in this series had another job aside from the very few. Vic Faulkner and Burt Royal worked part-time in the brewing industry. Jim Bricks was a publican. You can't watch an old world of sport bout without Ken Walton listing the combatants' jobs away from the ring at some point during a match. The wrestlers who truly got over in the mainstream consciousness and gave it their all every night in the UK were the only ones who could be truly full-time professionals. Mark Rocco joined those ranks. As Rocco made his way to the top from one side of the Lancastrian divide that favoured a sense of showmanship and storytelling, influenced by his father, his first long-term rival would be coming up in another direction from the Joyce Robinson School of Very Hard Knocks. Marty Jones got his start with Billy Robinson's amateur club in Failsworth at the age of seven. Billy was a friend of his father. A childhood accident had left him partially sighted in one eye, so it's ironic that he would have found his way to Robinson, who was similarly disabled. Marty had been the victim of bullying since his obvious ocular injury at school, and his father reasoned he needed an outlet for his anger. Energy and temper riled up by less than open-minded school children. Having missed out on the Munich Olympics because of lack of funds, Marty reasoned that he should turn professional, and Billy introduced him to the snake pit. As Billy moved away into America and beyond, Marty took it upon himself to learn the rest of his trade, alongside Colin Joynson, 
Jackie Robinson, that was Billy's cousin, and other pros of the era at Ryan Stadium. During his first year, he tagged and toured with fellow Snake Pit graduate Steve Wright, taking in the German tournaments before his first solo trip aboard to Mexico, working a series with Mexican heel-in-chief Pero Aguayo. It may seem odd that a young shoot-based grappler could catch on in Mexico, but Mexico had similarities to the British wrestling scene at the time. Both featured lightly sprung rings that made the working environment less bump-friendly. Paraguayo was also a gifted amateur, and if you ever saw his latter-day fuse in AAA with Conan and Jake Roberts, you could understand that he wasn't afraid of getting hurt. While seeing the Abdullah-like divots in his forehead would probably give you that impression too. The series was a hit, and culminated in the hair versus hair showdown that Marty lost after an hour of wrestling. He may well have left Mexico minus his hair, but it would be his biggest payday to date. Unfortunately for Marty, it would be the biggest payday of his career. What the experience gave Marty was a distinct idea of where his career was going. He didn't like gimmick wrestling, and would, in his own words, scurf around those who thought he couldn't do the job properly, who in turn would simply request not to work with him again. I would point out that this wasn't solely a Jones trait. The snake bit gave a very serious dick to me to what good wrestling should and could be, and its followers were rarely left the path. Having made a name for himself abroad, he headed back home and was in demand for his talents, despite his serious-minded ways. By the late 1970s, Jones and Rocco were the breakout stars of the British scene. The right ages, the right styles, and the right mix of temperament and originality. It would seem they were on a headlong course to each other, and indeed their first matches of note came in 75 and 76. They had three matches on TV in those years. The one that aired on June the 30th, 1976, was described by William Regal as the match that changed the business. In the first, Rocco refused to continue in frustration. In the second, he cut himself open and the bout had to be stopped. The third was the best of the three. The opening rounds of the Matt Wrestling Tour de Force picture perfect examples of hold and counterhold with no rule breaking, the key point behind Rocco's character being frustration. He would only resort to the underhanded tactics if he couldn't get the job done clean. This wasn't unique in wrestling at the time, but the fans respected him even if they hated him, a key part of being a championship wrestler in that era. The pace and the rule breaking start to pick up in the round two when the strikes coming thick and fast as frustration mounts on both sides. The story became about an arm submission that Rocco was trying to get out of Jones any way he could using the ropes, illegal breaks, but not cheating for cheating's sake, always with an end to a means. In defence, Jones was no angel either, pulling hair and trying to regain momentum. Marty gave up a fall in rounds before all hell broke loose in his comeback. The pace quickens and the big spots of the match happen, back body drops and top rope work, while Kent Walton explains what Marty is trying to do all with one arm. Jones equalises in round six, and then it was the sprint to the finish. The near falls and heavy strikes come thick and fast in round seven, before Jones wins with a backslide. Though the natural athletic storyline of both bouts was nothing new for the British wrestling, the bouts themselves were. The pacing was exceptional. It was pretty damn stiff too. Joint promotions have found themselves two stars, and while it seemed like this feud had ended, in reality, they were just getting started. When you look back at the history of the British light heavyweight title, it seems to be the club property of the snake pit. Ernie Riley, son of Billy, won the belt in 1952 and lost it to another snake pit wrestler, Billy Joyce, and a highly respected Cornishman who happened to live in Manchester, Roy St. Clair. The Wrestling Heritage website, which is a wonderful source of wrestling history, insists that the only reason why Riley agreed to retire the belt was that it went to a snake pit wrestler upon him leaving pro wrestling. Certainly no shooters around could live with Riley, except perhaps Joyce, and it was notable that his reign was interrupted by Joyce in 1957. With that kind of heritage, it's fitting then that the two most prominent Lancastrians of the 1970s should fight for the vacant belt that was opened upon Joyce's retirement. Rocco and Jones went after it on the 12th of November 1976, reigniting their feud. Dropping down to his natural weight, Rocco set his sights on the British heavy middleweight title, then held by Burt Royal, dethroning him in June of 77. 
With two champions in different weights, surely the Rocco Jones feud was over. Not quite yet. As a catchweight champion versus champion bout, this was bound to be a big draw after they had a highly publicized series in 1976. In the spring of 78, Jones and Rocco would meet again. Jones resplendent in his dark blonde afro, which kind of undid his hard man image, but never mind, took on Rocco in one for the ages. They ended up brawling their way down the aisle in a double disqualification and a rematch was set for July. This time the pace was faster, the strikes and the needles starting early, Rocco officially losing his temper at the start of round two. It was a fierce contest throughout, like previous encounters, and the crowd were hot for it, erupting in joy when Marty got the equalising fall in round four. This was a more even-handed affair than their 76 match, where Jones, who was lighter than Rocco at the time, had a come-from-behind victory. The pace picked up, and in the closing rounds, and it was an intense battle by the standards of the time. When Rocco won in the seventh round, the first thing he did was challenge Jones to a title match. Marty in response offered an interesting proposition. He stated that he could get to Rocco's weight and challenge him title for title. The post-match promo and challenge rarely happened in UK rings. By this time, both of them had international experience. Jones had been to Germany and Canada and Rocco to Japan, so it'd be sensible to think they were bringing a little bit of that storytelling flavour back home with them. Whomever and however they came up with the angle, it was moneymaker. Jones successfully challenged Rocco for the British heavy middleweight title, sadly not available on YouTube, on the 13th of September 1978. Having had his hand raised, Jones immediately relinquished the title, forcing Rocco to go into the tournament to decide the new winner. It would be the last time they would wrestle each other for a long time on TV. Jones having gained weight was undoubtedly too heavy to be a realistic contender to Rocco, but most importantly they were both made men in joint and in the UK wrestling scene as eyes. They didn't need each other anymore. Thankfully for them, others would come along in their wake who would pick up the mantle and drive British wrestling into a more realistic promo-driven style. And that's telling stories for today. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with more from the story of Rocco and Jones, two Lancastrians who changed the way we think about the professional wrestling industry next week. My name's James Troopany. You can find me on Twitter at Sheriff Lone Star. You can find the channel at Troopany Show on Twitter and at The Troopany Show on Facebook. Please visit our Patreon where you can keep The Troopany Show free forever for everyone. Please go read our sponsors, Indie Empire Magazine and Powerslam.tv. Theme music is by Sheriff Lone Star and the deputies of Heartbreak, Bandcamp forward slash Sheriff Lone Star. Take care, and we'll see you next week. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv.